We are about to start, uh, next Sunday we'll be starting a new sermon series where we're going to be discussing generosity and, and looking at generosity and where it plays in our life and, and where possibly we have uh, the ability to grow in that generosity and the ways in which the Lord has been generous with us. And, and while we are between our sermon series, we switched the lectionary and, and came, came upon these readings which wound up fitting very well as kind of a primer and getting us ready to discuss generosity. Because uh, among the things that were talked about in our gospel reading today was the issue of pride. Now there was a time, and I think I've said this before, that in a lot of the Christian church and its history that the, the sin and, and uh, the thing that was seen most as the enemy of the gospel and its preaching and proclamation and its service was pride. And in fact, in medieval Christianity, if you were to talk uh, about those things that were against God, chief among them would always be pride. I think at times today, it's, it's probably sexual immorality and, and purity and things of that nature, but uh, most of the church history, it would have been pride. And certainly that's spoken about here in our gospel reading. And, and I... Um, Oh, I thought this, there it goes. Are you doing that or am I doing that? Okay, all right. We moved all of our stuff this week and now it's, you know. Um, as uh, I came across this quote from C.S. Lewis, uh, for pride is spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. And certainly if any of us or you suffer from pride, you can probably see where this takes place in your life. You can see the ways in which it has eaten up your love, your contentment, your common sense, and certainly your ability to forgive. Jesus, as he is talking to uh, and preaching about pride and humbleness, he describes the way in which people see themselves fit for their place at a wedding feast or their place in society and where they actually belong. The truth is most of us find ourselves maybe not taking those front row seats, <laughs> but thinking that you certainly deserve and should be invited to do so. Waiting for somebody to come along and recognize the greatness of who you actually are or the accomplishments that you've made. Or maybe pride has become such a God in your life that it is the way that you see your own value is your accomplishments, your professionalism, your uh, churchmanship, your ability to serve and, and serve in such a, an illustrious way. Christ has come to demolish those kinds of idols. He's come into our lives to rip that idol out of our hands. He speaks of bringing low those that are proud and raising up those that are humble. Because our salvation is not found in such works. Our salvation isn't even in, found in our ability to love. It isn't found in our ability to be perfect. One commentarian said in regard to this that God did not come to pat us on the head, but to raise the dead. 
Many of us have been found in the deadness of our pride. It is something that no matter what age we seem to be, that we continuously learn that the Lord humbles the proud. So Christ, in His coming, calls us to humbleness, to humility. For it is when we are at our lowest that we actually see that God follows us there. It's when we are in our darkness that we discover that He has brought light to us. It is in those times and those places that we need Him at most that He always makes Himself known. And when we are at our highest and when we are at our proudest, that He tends to show us that we need Him. So He's calling you away from your pride and into humility. So understand this. Humility is not a denial of your relationship with God. Humility is not the denial of your relationship with God. It is not the statement that you are not worthy of God. It is not the statement that God is too good for you. And it is not the statement that you are too good for God. Humility is not a denial of the relationship, but a frank acknowledgement of who God is and who you are. He has come in the midst of our own wedding feast where many of us have wanted to take the front row seat and see our place there. And in the midst of all of that, He still talks to us. He still comes for us. He still is there with us. Loving us, dying for us, raising us up. Humility is not the denial of a relationship with God, but it is the frank acknowledgement of who God is and who we are. And then getting about the business that He has set for us. Namely, to love one another. Humility is not a denial of relationship with God, but an acknowledgement of who He is and who we are and setting us about the business that He has established, namely, to love one another. This is where humility comes in, the humility of the cross, where God Himself humbling Himself to the point to die for us so that we would not know death any longer, that we would not need to cling to our pride any longer, that we would not need to build false identities of pride before the world, that He gives us His humility. He calls us to a humbleness because that's the only state we can be in to love one another. Christ has already said to us before, there is no greater love than this and a man should lay down his life for another. And this is the path of humbleness that he has set us on and the very command that he has given in response to the love that he has shown us. Therefore, we are called to something different. We are called to not live a life like those Pharisees or the ones fighting for the front row seat. 
Maybe we're called to a life where we actually find great happiness sitting in the middle. And maybe even in the back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can see you better when you're there too, actually. <laughs> He's calling us to a life that mimics and follows after his. He's actually calling us to a feast. One of my favorite writers, Robert Farrar Kappen, once made a statement that I know contradicts a sermon of Marcus's months ago. I feast, therefore I am. And he describes the salvation that we've been given as a remarkable feast of God brought into our lives. That for so long in our own pride, we were starved of our nourishment, starved of actual nutrition. But in the humility of God, he brought himself to hand himself over and has created for us a salvation that is a feast for us to eat. And the one thing if you remember about feasts is that they never happen solo. Eating dinner alone is not a feast. But a feast is something that you bring people in for. A feast is where you include your family or your friends or your neighborhood. A feast is something that is community-based. A place of gathering for us to eat together. And our salvation is that feast. Even for us in the feast that we are about to have in the body and blood of Christ, we do not take that alone. Even those who are homebound do not take it alone. But with the company of saints, with the people of God gathered together in one place. And the feelings of a feast never stop at the table. They carry over in our minds and into our actions in the world. Thanksgiving does not just happen for that one hour on that Thursday. But it creates a memory in your mind that you return to and helps you understand how to live among a family. The feast that we have here of our salvation is something that goes with us wherever we are, inviting those that are out there into the feast that we are having. We care for those that are already at the feast, but we do not stop extending the invitation. We feast, therefore we are. So this is your feast. Could you, uh, Mike, hit the little button thing? Again. There you go. This is the feast that has come to us at the very creation of the body of Christ, at the formation of us as a church, a gathering of people where the Spirit of God came upon them and the words of God went out into the world. We do not just describe our lives as having walked away from pride and of humbleness of following Christ, but we have now heard by the words of even Hebrews 13 of what it means to be at this feast. To have had the body and blood with us is to hear these words in their fullest. Let brotherly love continue.
Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember even those who are in prison, as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated, since you are also in the body. Keep your own relationships in honor. Remain faithful to each other, because the feast that we have does not stop at the table, but is carried out with you into your life, into your callings, and into our world. Because Christ has not come to pat us on the head, but to raise the dead to new life. He has not come to see in what ways you can perfect yourself, but he has come to let you live in this newness of life. He has come to free you from those things of your past with his forgiveness, and he has called you to something new by his own resurrection. So let us live with this brotherly love among ourselves, not excluding the stranger among us, not forgetting those who are forced to be away from us, not thinking that there is any among us worthy of more than the other. Because all of us, all of us have all fallen short, and all of us have received the same love. Can you hit it one more time, Mike? Sadly, in our reading, something was excluded. This is a little later on in the chapter, and, it, and if you're very familiar with Hebrews, this is at the end of the book, basically. And, and the writer is starting to kind of wind it down and giving the exhortations that are to be given, and then gives this simple benediction as a reminder of by whose strength are we being let out in? By whose strength is it that we are actually doing this brotherly love by whose strength is it that the dead are actually raised? So the writer says, Now may the God of peace, who, brought again, who was brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. We can talk about this newness of life. We can even describe the humility that we've been called to. Let us not forget in whose strength those things happen. By whose strength you are called to do these things you are called to be, whose strength lowers the pride and raises up the humble, whose strength can forgive sins and raise the dead, and whose strength we can look at each other and let brotherly love exist. So I ask you to stand. Please stand. And receive this benediction through the word of God. Now may the God of peace who brought you 
again from the dead by our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep. By the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom glory be forever and ever. Amen.